the 21st century. Transportation space travel, robotics, teleconferencing, right, and supersonic sports. Those cartoons were, were produced in the early 60s, and it really was looking at, a, at the life of a family in the, in the future. And I always loved, you know, George Jetson. He was always getting into trouble, and it was just a, a fun cartoon to watch. And when you think about it, in terms of technology, they really did get a lot of things right. Now, they, they missed some things, but they got some things right. They called it by different names, but when you watch those cartoons, they had things like our microwave ovens, uh, things like uh, the Internet and you know, Wi-Fi. So there were several things they did get right when it came to life in the 21st century. And it got me thinking, what would it be like if you and I could look into the future? If we could look 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, and, and, and just get a sneak peek at what our family life, what our relationships would be like in 10 years, 15 20 years, 20 years, what, what would we see? I mean, all of us have these dreams. Every, every time a couple, uh, you know, stands in front of me and I'm, you know, officiating their wedding and, uh, and by the way, happy anniversary to Holly and Mike Matthews over here. They told me, how many years ago today? 23, 23 years ago I did their wedding. 23 years ago today. <laughs> Congratulations, guys. And every, every time I do a wedding, you know, couples have all these dreams for the future, all the hopes. You hold that, that baby for the first time and you smile and you cry and, and, you watch your kids as they grow up, play together, and you have these visions of the future. If, if you could look into the future when your children are 30 years old and 50 years old, what would you see? I mean, will your children be getting along? Will they be talking to each other? What will your marriage be like? Will you, will you really be happy? Will you be happier 10 years from today than you are right now? Will, will, you, will your marriage be even stronger and, and, and better in 20 years than it is right now. If you could look into the future, what do you think you might see? Because we have all these dreams, all these hopes, but life doesn't always turn out the way we hope it does, correct? Marriages, marriages end. We all, we all know about children who don't get along or parents and their children that don't, don't get along. I appreciate you praying for me this week. I was in Kentucky following up with my mom after her surgery, and she's doing well, but I also went because... My cousin was killed in that coal mining accident, and you know we had the funeral on Tuesday, and it was it was a sad day. But uh, I enjoyed getting to see all my family and relatives that's on my on my mother's side. And I remember Mark. Mark was 48 years old, the one who died. And when I was a kid, uh, he was really young. Okay, I'm I'm more than 10 years older than him, and I played with his brothers. He had two older brothers, one a year older than me, one two years younger than me, and a sister who was my age. We we graduated uh, elementary school together. And I can remember being over where they lived, and they lived on the old home place, my mom's family's home place that they'd owned since the early 1800s. And they lived in the old farmhouse. And some of you will know that back in the 1800s, they would often build another little building beside the main house, and that's where they would cook all the meals because of the likelihood of fire, and it wouldn't burn the house down if the wood stove caught on fire. And when we were coming along as kids, that was just another building beside the house, and we'd go out there and play. And I can remember sitting out there with, with his older brothers and sister, you know, when we were playing, uh, what was that show back in the 60s, Lost in Space? 
Any of y'all remember Lost in Space? We, we, we were playing Lost in Space. We were on that spaceship out in some universe somewhere. And little Mark, the one who died, was a little, you know, two, three-year-old red-headed kid just running around. That's, that's my, my memory of Mark. His oldest brother, Norman, a year older than me, good guy, good guy. He and his mother, he and his mother had not spoken to each other in five years until that funeral. And just about everybody in this room, know, you know people who have broken relationships with their family, right? I mean, here, here's a mom and her son. And can you imagine her and Norman when, when he was little? Neither of them expected in, in, in the future they wouldn't be talking to each other. We, we all know brothers and sisters that they, they haven't seen each other in years. They haven't talked to each other. In, in, in years, I know I know of one family, and uh, that uh, the the wife, the mother, is is dying with cancer, and their adult son, late twenties, lives in another state, and she she's had cancer for for almost a year, and she's at the point of death. She's in hospice care. He's not come home one time to see his mom. We all know situations like that, because the truth is. Families don't always turn out the way we hope, the way we dream. Because the truth is, it takes more than wishful thinking for a dream to become reality. It takes more than hope for what you want your family to be like, your marriage to be like in the future, to actually be that way. There are, there are things that, that we have to do. And, and while there's no guarantees... It is true that if we do certain things, we increase the likelihood that things are going to be better down the road. It's equally true that if we do certain things, we increase the likelihood that things are going to be worse down the road. There's a law, there's a principle in nature that we call the law of cause and effect, the principle of cause and effect, that that for every action there is a reaction, that for everything we do there is an outcome there is a result. But that's more than a law of nature. It's, it's more than a principle in the universe. It's also a biblical truth. It's a biblical principle, a biblical teaching. I want you to go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Colossians chapter 3. But before we look at those verses, let me just show you on the screen some verses that, that highlight this, this biblical principle, this law of nature of cause and effect, of action and result. One is in the Old Testament, book of Job, chapter 4, verse 8. Job is talking, and he says, According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity, he's using a farming analogy. He says, those who plant sin, those who, you know, they, they, they plow a row and they plant sin. They make decisions, they do things that are wrong, and, and those who sow or plant trouble, what, what happens to them? They harvest it. That if, if you plant sin in your life, you're going to get what sin produces. That if you're a troublemaker, you're going to get what troublemakers get in life. It's a biblical principle. But that, that principle of cause and effect is also true in relationships. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Jesus said, treat people. And I left off treat when I typed that up, so apologize for that. But he said, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Why? Because how you treat people normally results in how they treat you. You treat someone well, they're more likely to treat you well. You treat someone poorly, they're more likely to treat you poorly. It's the principle of cause and effect that applies not only to life, not only to nature, 
but to relationships. And, and so if you could go into the future and look at your family, look at your relationships as a husband and wife, your relationships as, as, as a parent with your children, a brother to sister or brother to brother or sister to sister, one of the things you're going to find that what your relationship is in, is in the future is being shaped in large measure by what you're doing today. That there's this cumulative effect for good or for bad, positively or negatively. It's this principle of how you treat people. Ultimately, they treat you. Increases the likelihood, not a guarantee, but increases the likelihood, this law of, of, of cause and effect. Another verse from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 32, speaking about marriage, the Bible says, A man who commits adultery, who's unfaithful to his wife, has no sense. And look at that. And, and, and the one who does this destroys himself. Not only do you hurt the relationship, you end up hurting yourself. Your quality of life, your happiness, your peace of mind, your joy, you do damage to others and you do damage to yourself. It's that principle again, cause and effect. Not only in the universe, but in relationships. And when you think about the future, your, your future family, what you want those relationships to be like in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 30 years, then you need to start looking at what you are doing today, at how you are speaking to one another today, how you think about issues and relationships today, because you're plowing in the garden of life and you're planting seeds in all those relationships, and just like seeds grow over time in a garden, they grow over time in life and in our relationships. So what you're doing today is going to influence in large measure what you reap tomorrow when it comes to the relationships in your life. Perhaps the best-known verse in the Bible when it comes to this principle of of, of cause and effect is from Galatians chapter 6 where the Bible says whatever a man sows this he will also what reap you you get out we often say what you put in right what you plant is what grows so today's choices today's behavior today's words are going to influence the future in our family relationships so this is, this is not a sermon series about just marriage. It's about marriage. It's about parents and children, brothers and sisters, extended family, relatives. It's about all these family dynamics because nobody, nobody wants our family to be in a bad place in the future. No, no one wants their marriage to go bad. No one wants their relationship with their children to sour. You know, brothers and sisters don't want to end up not liking each other, not talking to each other. But today matters because it has a big influence on shaping your tomorrow. Now, let me, let me say one more thing. I can't control what the other people in my life do. The seeds they plant will grow. The decisions they make will have an impact, correct? And it will affect me and it will affect them. But I have no control over that. All I can control is what I do in those relationships. How do I speak? How do I think? How do I treat them? Who am I? What kind of person am I in those relationships? 
And, and by doing it right myself, I increase the likelihood, no guarantee, but I do increase the likelihood that the relationship will be healthy down the road. It may be I'm the one who takes the initiative to plant a seed today of forgiveness that makes possible a relationship down the road. It may be that today I'm the one that plants the seed of sacrifice and service that, that makes possible a better relationship down the road. Because if, if I go through life focused on me and just me and how I feel and it's tit for tat, then I increase the likelihood those relationships are going to break down. So, yeah, I can't control them, and, and they may do things that damage the relationship, but I have a big part to play in all of this and, and making a good relationship possible with them and in shaping the kind of person I am. Now, before we get to Colossians, I want to show you one more verse from the Bible, and that's Proverbs 22, verse 3. But the Bible says that a prudent person, and what is a prudent person? He's a smart person. She's a wise woman. A prudent person, a smart person, a wise person, a person of understanding, sees the evil, sees things that are hurtful and things that are wrong and things that are bad. What do they do? They hide from it. The prudent person says, I don't want that behavior to be part of my life. I don't want that evil thinking to be part of my life. I don't want that unbiblical attitude to be part of who I am. I don't want those fleshly emotions to define me as a follower of Christ. The prudent person, the follower of Christ, sees all that stuff and he says, I don't want that in my life. I hide from it. No, I'm not going there. I'm not going to be that kind of person. But the naive person, the one who doesn't want to be smart, doesn't want to be wise, does, does not want to be prudent, the naive person, what does he do? He, he, he just goes right on. Keeps talking that way. Keeps acting that way. Keeps thinking that way. And the whole time is, is planting more and more seeds in the garden of relationships that's going to bring suffering and punishment to the relationship and to him or her as well. And so what I want to encourage you to do these next few weeks is to just kind of open up your heart and open up your mind and say, God, I'm giving you permission. I'm giving you permission to teach me. Because I don't want to be naive in relationships. God, help me to become more prudent than I already am, to learn more than I already know, to become wiser so that I can, I can do things today that increase the likelihood that five years out, 10 years out, 15 years out, my relationships with my family, my marriage relationship, my relationships with my kids, my relationships with my siblings, my relationships with my extended family, with my cousins, that my relationships, God, have a greater likelihood of being positive and healthy and happy. God, make me a wiser person because I want to contribute good things to the garden of our relationships. I don't want to plant 
bad seeds. God, I can't control what they plant, but God, I'm going to plant as many good seeds as I can plant because I don't know the future. I don't know what technology will be out there. I don't know what circumstances will come to my family. I don't know who's going to get sick. I don't know who's going to lose a job. I don't know who's going to die. I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but God, I'm going to be the kind of person that's planting good seeds relationally so that in the future, whatever happens, whatever comes our way, we have a greater likelihood of being in a good place as a family. Now, does that sound like a good goal to have? Is there anything wrong with any of us in this room saying, God, teach me, make me a better me? Now, here, here is something that keeps people naive. Here's something that prevents people from becoming wiser when it comes to relationships. And you know what it is? Always blaming other people. Now, do other people do things that are wrong? Absolutely. Do other people do things that mess up relationships? Absolutely. But if you go through your life with the tendency of blaming other people, you're not going to become a better you as a husband or wife. You're not going to become a better you as a parent or a son or a daughter. You're not going to become a better you as a brother or a sister or a cousin or an uncle, a nephew, whatever the relationship. The only way you can become better in those relationships as a follower of Christ and increase the likelihood in the future that those are great relationships, are healthy relationships, is for you to say, God, I do not want to be naive about me. Make me prudent. Make me wise so I can make better choices, better decisions, so the relationships stand a better chance of being good in the future. And that's what I want to encourage you to do is just to pray a prayer right now to God. Say, God, teach me. I Say it to God. God, teach me. God, I give you permission to show me things about me. And God, every time I start blaming someone, tell me to stop. They may be wrong. Doesn't matter. God, tell me to stop because all I can do is become a better me. I can't make them a better them. I can make me a better me. So God, teach me me pray that prayer to God give him permission to do that in your heart over the next few weeks now having said all of that what we're going to do is study the third chapter of Colossians each Sunday for the next few weeks you're going to get to know this chapter pretty thoroughly now here's the broad outline of Colossians chapter 3 the first 17 verses speak to our relationships with one another as fellow believers He talks in those 17 verses about how we are to treat one another at church, in Sunday school. How one Christian is to relate to another Christian. How one follower of Jesus is to respond to, deal with, be in relationship with another follower of Jesus. Now let me ask you something. Do you think God wants you to treat other Christians better than you treat your own family? Hmm. don't you think God wants you to treat both well? And that if God says you're supposed to practice forgiveness in your relationships with one another as fellow believers, you need to learn how to practice forgiveness in your relationships at home. And so what I'm going to submit to us is that all of the teachings in these 17 verses about relationships with other believers also apply 
to the home, to the family relationships. Then beginning at verse 18, there are four verses that talk about family life. Marriage, parenting, children, just four verses. So think about that. Out of those, out of those uh, uh, tw- just, what is it, 21 verses, only four of them talk about family relationships. 17 talk about relationships with other believers. Well, why? It's because those first 17 verses explain to us how we also do what he says in verses 18 to 21 in, in the home. There's a parallel passage to to Colossians chapter 3 in the book of Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 5. Follows the same pattern. The first part of the chapter talks about relationships within the church. Then he has a few verses talking about relationships within the home. Marriage, parenting, children, all of that. Same pattern. And so we're going to focus on Colossians 3, but from time to time, look at what he says in the parallel passage in the book of Ephesians. So having said that, let's start in Colossians 3. Let's just, by way of introduction today, and we'll dive into it in more depth next week. Verse 18. Wives, be subject or submissive to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them, or some Bibles will translate it, be harsh toward them. Verse 20. Children, Be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart or lose hope, give up. And that's it. That's all he says about family life in this chapter, those four verses. And there's some good teaching there. But how do you do those things? When he says, husbands, love your wives, what does that mean? Where's the practical teaching on how you love your wife? Wives, your relationship with your husband following his spiritual leadership, how do you do that? What does that mean? What does that look like? Parents, don't exasperate your children to the point they just throw up their hands and give up all hope. How do you do that? I mean, what he's doing in verses 18 and following is is as though he's painting this big picture of what family life can look like, of of relationships relationships that are are harmonious and supportive and loving and healthy. He's painting a big picture, but how do you do that? I want to suggest that if you can learn to practice verses 1 to 17, not only at church, not only with other Christians, but with your family, then you can learn how to do verses 18 and following because the first 17 verses tell you how to love, how to serve, how to do those things. Now, I want to start briefly when he talks about husbands. Love your wives. The Greek verb translated love comes from the noun for agape. It's God's kind of love, which is a sacrificial love. It is a giving kind of love. It is a love that says this person has this need and I want to meet it. I want to help. The greatest example of loving someone with this agape type love is the cross. 
Jesus was not doing that for himself. He was doing it for us. And so when a husband exercises leadership, when he loves his wife, Ephesians add, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's what agape love looks like. Putting our need for salvation, the penalty for our sin. So husbands, loving your wife means you, you care about what she needs. You care about what is important. And you're willing to sacrifice. That's how you express love. Now, when he says at the end of verse 19, don't be embittered against them, against your wives, or don't, don't be harsh with, it's, it's really got two ideas uh, with it. It's the idea of, of, of not allowing over time things in the relationship to cause you to walk around on the inside just mad all the time. You just always, you know, she does, and you, she does something, you just, you just have this conversation. You, you, some, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Right? This, 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 this self-talk. Because, guys, I, I'm 58 years old. I've been a pastor since I was 19. I've talked to more couples than I can count. And husbands and wives do this all the time. There's this history. Things accumulate over the years. All this little stuff builds up and we don't deal with it and let go of it. And we have all this stuff inside. And then every little thing that he or she does gets interpreted in light of that. And we mumble and we grumble. And just another thing gets stacked on top of all that bitterness. Do you know the same thing happens with kids and, 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 and their attitudes toward their parents? If things aren't dealt with, it builds up. Builds up. So guys, he says, when you're loving your wife, love means you don't carry that. What did Jesus do on the cross? He, he died to pay the penalty for our sin, which means it can be forgiven. And God says when he forgives, he removes it from us as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. And we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So don't, don't, don't walk around because you've you're got all this stuff inside you being grouchy and harsh and critical and irritable all the time and overbearing. Now, ladies, in verse 18 he says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. I don't have time to say a lot about this, but it's not talking here about equality of personhood. It's talking about difference in roles and a couple of things. When he says be subject or submissive here, this verb is in the middle voice. In the Greek tense, in the Greek you have three types of voices or uh, action when it comes to verbs. And the middle voice, just like it is in English, means it's something you do to yourself. It's a choice you make. So he, he's not saying that a husband can demand and coerce submission. It's a choice that a, that a, that a wife makes. That's one thing. The other thing is it's in the context of a relationship where you're loving one another and sacrificing for one another with this agape-type love. And guys, behind it is also the responsibility you have of, of, of providing spiritual leadership 
in the home. And when you're providing leadership in the home, it, it means you're doing it from a, an agape approach, which means you're, you're actually paying attention to what the others in your home need. And to do that, you have to listen. To do that, you have to talk. To do that, it's not just about you and you being the boss. That's, that's not agape love in any stretch of the imagination. But ladies, he's also saying that you have to allow your husband to be who God created him to be. And guys, you've got to be who God created you to be. Women, you have to be in your life, live the, the lifestyle that God has called you as a Christian woman to live. It's interesting. The parallel passage in Ephesians 5 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's that sacrificial love. That's verse 25. And then earlier in verse 22 in chapter 5 of Ephesians, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Here's the thing I want you to get. In, In Colossians, these verses about the family, as I said a moment ago, are preceded by 17 verses that talk about what? Church, relationships within the church with other believers, right? Same thing in Ephesians. Do you know what the last verse in, the, in, the, in, in Ephesians 5 about church relationships, relationships with other believers, the very last verse in that section is before he starts talking about wives and husbands in Ephesians 5. Do you know what it says? Anybody? Go ahead and show them that slide. Next slide. There it is. Verse 21. Immediately before the verse about wives being subject to their husbands is that fellow believers be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In reverence for Christ. Now here's the point. In relationships, it doesn't matter whether it's relationships between people in your Sunday school class, between a husband and a wife, parent and children, siblings, whatever. The biblical teaching is that we're all to be submissive to one another, which means it's another way of saying you are to be concerned about what other people need in their lives. If all you care about is what you want, your way, your need, you're not going to practice any of these relationships the way Jesus is teaching us to practice them. And so you take the principle that in fellow believer relationships, we, we're to be submissive to one, what, what, what's the need, what's the concern, what, what can help, what, what, etc. If you bring that into your home, just, just imagine if every wife really cared about what her husband truly needs. If every husband really cared about what his wife truly needs, if every parent really focused on what their children really need, and on and on it goes, rather than how I feel, what I want, what I want, what I need, what would happen to our relationships? Hmm? And, And here's the thing. Talk about future family. I can guarantee you That if in today, when it comes to your relationships at home, whether it's marriage, parenting, siblings, whatever, if today you're just about you, okay, you're primarily about you, I can guarantee you that down the road, those in your family are going to say, enough. It will take some longer than others, but eventually they will all say, no more. I've had it. And then I have people come to me in my office and say, 
preacher, we got problems. Can you help us fix this? And I'll sometimes tell them, if you had come to me 10 years ago, yes, I could have. But it's going to be really, 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 really hard to fix it today. Because what your family will be down the road is determined by what you're doing right now. Do you get that? Do you, do you get that, brothers and sisters? Do you get that? You know, fire prevention is a whole lot easier than putting out fires. <laughs> Taking care of yourself physically is a whole lot easier than dealing with sickness once it comes. What's that old saying? An ounce of prevention is better than a what? Pound of cure. Same thing's true in relationships. And so he's painting the picture here about husbands and wives. They're just in sync. They're in sync. They're in sync. And children obey your parents. It's pretty plain. And one of the challenges families have today is our culture doesn't do anything to support parents being parents. Ephesians, the parallel passage, adds, children, honor your fathers and mothers. And then it's interesting, in verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children, or Bibles will translate that, don't embitter your children, don't provoke your children and Ephesians, just like Colossians, speaks to fathers, not both parents. That would apply to both parents, but the focus is on fathers. Why? Because in their culture, the father was, was practically a dictator 2,000 years ago. So you have to understand the context in which he's writing. So that they lose heart, become discouraged by being overly demanding, overly critical, never listening, not explaining. Paul says the goal... You know what he said? He said the goal that all of us have for our family is it's the same goal God has for us, to get along, to get along, to know how to love each other and how to bless each other and serve each other and help each other, have love in the family, have love in the relationships, to grow in Christ-likeness. To get along, how, how do we do that? Well, I want to suggest that if you want to know how to practice those four verses that we just read, you need to look very closely at what he says in the 17 verses that come before it. Because if you can master the things in the 17 verses that start this chapter, then you'll know how to do these things in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. For example, look at verse 12 of Colossians 3 in terms of church relationships. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should do. And beyond all these things, 
put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, that's how we're to treat each other in church, you know, as, as believers. What would happen if you did that at home? Compassion, forgiveness, gentleness, patience, humility, kindness, bearing with one another. What would happen to sibling relationships if we would overlook some of the little things we all get irritated about? Why should we be expected to, to go further in our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ than we are willing to go in our marriage and in our parenting and our sibling relationships? That's a positive example. You want a negative example? Verse 8, put all these things aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Don't lie. If God expects us to do that at church, don't you think he expects us to do that at home? Huh? See, if, if all I give you is wives be submissive, husbands love you, what, what does that mean? What does it look like to love your wife? What, what does it look like to, to not so discourage your children they give up? It's these first 17 verses. And so we're going to walk through those 17 verses, applying them to our family relationships over the next few weeks. Well, I'm out of time. Let me close with this. You know, my mother was a, a twin. And just from their experience, I know twins have a special, they have a unique relationship. The uh, Wall, Street, uh, Wall Street Journal, about three or four years ago, had a story about two men in their 80s, that they were twins. And one of the brothers had recently died. Their names were Al and Elliot Golden. Elliot, one of the twins, had died in 2009. As kids, they shared the same bedroom, graduated from the same college, even got married within a month of each other. But even though twins have a special relationship, and I can remember as a child getting my mom and her sister confused when they were together sometimes, these two twins did not always have a great relationship. And it all started when they were young. Al talked about their father how he was always comparing them to one another. And if one came home with a B on the report card, he'd say, why couldn't you make an A like your brother? Didn't matter which one got the B. Didn't matter what the topic was, always the, the same thing. And so there was this competitive spirit that developed between the two of them, and then in time, jealousy. Elliot became a lawyer and ultimately a Supreme Court justice in the state of New York. Al became a successful businessman who made more money than his lawyer brother as a judge. Elliot was jealous of Al's money. And, and, and Al was jealous of Elliot's status in the community as a judge. And they can never be happy for each other. 
And it all started when they were little boys, twins, in the home. After their mom died, for over a year they didn't speak because of some issues. Now imagine this. Here's these elderly twin brothers not talking to each other. But Elliot reached out to Al and sent him an email. And in the email, he described a story about two men who owned adjoining property divided by, by a stream. And one of the men hired a carpenter to build a fence along the stream. But the carpenter on his own decided he'd build a bridge. And as Al read that story his brother had sent him, he replied, and in his reply, he emailed his brother and said, I'd like to walk across that bridge. See, today is a big part of shaping your tomorrow. And you can't spend your life waiting for tomorrow to fix things, to change things. You've got to do it today for a whole host of reasons. So let's stand. And as we sing this invitation song, I want to encourage you to open your heart to God and say, God, I'm giving you permission. As we spend the next few weeks looking at these 17 verses, I'm giving you permission to show me some things in these verses about me. About me. Because I can't control whether my brother is the best brother my child is the best child or my parents the best parent or my spouse is the best spouse but I can determine whether I'm the best me as a follower of Christ and then that gives all of us a better a better chance and after all isn't that what I'm responsible for is me hmm? is me and so I want to encourage you when we sing this song to, to pray to God in your heart, to come and kneel at this altar and say, God, I right, right, right now I surrender afresh to you, completely to you, and I give you permission to teach me, show me, grow me, change me.